0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Real Live Talk. I am uh, so, so pumped just to be back. I think I've had almost, if not, yeah, right about, I think, two weeks off. It's been about two weeks since I've released an episode. and It's been even longer since I've done a live episode. So I'm hoping muscle memory kicks in and I remember <laughs> how to do everything. But uh, really, really pumped um, that uh, you're here checking this out and uh, just really stoked to be back with you. For anyone who doesn't know, let me just give you a quick update as to why I haven't done an episode in a couple weeks. We, My family and I have been in the moving process. We just moved to Sugarland, Texas, which is right outside of Houston. And uh, we're here starting work on a new church plant through our, our church family, Legacy Church International. And so that's what's going on. But um, finally got enough things situated. We're not even close to done, but we've got enough situated, and we've got um, an internet signal and all that working now, so we can go ahead and get back to some business here. But appreciate you guys so much for checking out uh, this episode of the podcast, and I pray that the content blesses you today. I'm super just excited to welcome back a uh, still a pretty new friend of mine, but really, really good friend of mine, Britt Eaton, for second round here. Of the podcast, Britt was on a little while back um, after the release of her book, The Uncovery. Uh, that she co-authored with George A. Wood. And uh, the conversation centered mostly around the book, but I wanted to have Britt back on so we can kind of uh, just get a little bit more of her backstory and testimony and stuff like that. And uh, so just really excited to welcome Britt. For anyone who doesn't know, Britt Eaton is a content strategist, writer, speaker, and all around pursuer of the kingdom of God. She's an advocate for non-traditional recovery and for women in ministry. And through her spirit-filled ministry, seeks to bring unity, to the body of Christ. So uh, without further ado, Britt Eaton, ladies and gentlemen, drum roll. Welcome back, Britt. <laughs> Thanks for being here, sis.
1: <laughs> hey, Duke. It's so good to see you. Happy New Year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year to you too. Happy New Year to everybody else. Yeah. This is the first one of uh, of the new year as well. So yeah. It's, it's
1: 2023 and I'm still like signing checks. 2021. I don't even know what to do with myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 2022 just never, there was so much trauma from 2020 that spilled over into 21. We just haven't even gotten there yet.
1: <clears throat> nope.
0: 23 does seem super weird though 2023 i haven't yeah i'm not there yet either
1: doesn't it like that's officially into the 2020s not just like oh it's brand new like we are into this thing and i don't know if anybody really knows what we're doing but we're kind of figuring it out as we go i suppose (laughs) maybe getting a little better every day yeah
0: (laughs) 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 we're supposed to be like flying cars and hovercrafts (laughs) by now just normal (laughs) we're supposed to be having like you know meals and pill form and stuff like that's what all the projections were if you go back 30 40 I, years but
1: I think the technology is there but there's a lot of barriers that would keep us from making that kind of stuff commonplace so but that's maybe not our topic for today do we want to go down the road of like conspiracy theories and like, <laughs> all kinds of weird government stuff we could go there maybe for the next time
0: <laughs> round three round three we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll ease into we'll ease into that one. Um, but yeah it was crazy Britt, like this was the first time I think in my in my life definitely my adult life, where Like we were in the moving process into like New Year's, um, New Year's Eve. We were Mm -hmm. here in Texas, but we were still unpacking uh, trucks and stuff. And so when midnight on New Year's Eve rolled around, I was in the process. I was at the U-Haul facility, (laughs) like checking the truck in, taking pictures and all that stuff. And so it was like 1204. And my son walked up to me and he was like, dad, I was like, hold on. Like, I'm like, like, just give me a second. I'm almost done. Just give me a second. And uh, he was like, no, dad, come here. And he just, and he just grabbed me and gave me a hug. And he was like, happy new year. And I was like, Aww. I didn't even realize, like, I had no idea that it was new year's. It, w- it was so crazy.
1: Oh, Completely man. just
0: flew past me
1: <laughs> it's just wild i mean i don't really believe in new year's resolutions that kind of stuff just because most of us abandon them like the first week into the year but there's something to Same. be said about recognizing like moments where we can stop and just be present and that's one of those cool yes. moments where you can be caught up in hey gotta get this moving truck done i'm gonna stop and i'm gonna hug my kid and i'm gonna acknowledge it is is yes. a new year and a new day
0: <laughs> yeah no, for real. Uh, we're the same way as far as the, the resolutions we I like to. Um, we, we always spend some time at the end of the year and we take a couple weeks usually and we do some fasting and prayer and stuff like that and just kind of <laughs> seek the heart of God for okay, God. Like, what are you saying for this new year and kind of what's on your heart and wanting to somewhat set a, at least a loose agenda for some things to focus on for the year. Yeah. But yeah, we stopped doing the resolution thing a number of years ago, because same, we just kind of by January, you know, second, <laughs> sometimes it just,
1: it just feels like legalism. You know, I was part of a church many years ago. And one of the pastors recommended that both for new the new year, the natural reset in the new year and for the Lenten process, he said, instead of fasting and giving something up, why don't you pray and ask the Lord what he would have you add to your life? and see if Mm. you can stick to that. So just really Mm. being aware of what's working in your life, what's not working in your life, and then asking God with humility, is there anything more you would have me do? And just being surrendered to that, like that, I the temptation to bootstrap ourselves, especially in these natural resets, the new year, the new you, whatever, you know what? Mm, yeah. It's not about becoming a new you. It's about discovering the you you are always meant to be. <laughs> that's, yeah, That's the beauty of the opportunity. And God is so ready to reveal that. I believe now into this generation, this there's a reason the church keeps teaching on identity. There's a reason we keep going back to this. And it's because we just don't get it yet. We just don't get (laughs) it. Even if we think we know who we are and we think we know whose we are, that we belong to God, our identity as its beloved children, this is something we will probably spend the rest of our lives trying to wrap our minds around. So it's never a bad moment to pause, to reflect, and then to think, hmm, going forward, what can I do to better align with that idea, to better um, come into agreement with the truth of who I are. am in christ rather than setting up some new year's resolution like oh i'm gonna fast from sugar all year okay if you did that fine i don't care good luck to you (laughs) (laughs) you will be no more or less loved by god if you stick to your sugar fast
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i was doing really good on the on the no sugar thing up until uh yeah up until christmas up until christmas and then it was out the window
1: it's Christmas. <laughs> How can you not have sugar it's, on Christmas? Yeah, no, and I, I fully
0: expected that. But then what I didn't anticipate was with like this with this move, um, everything was so and it, and it took a little while to um to get things turned on. I was just telling you, we're not going to go into the, the gory details. But the I was explaining to you a minute ago before we started about the process with like getting our refrigerator up and running and all that. Oh, but it was oh, like whoa. I was literally just able. We've been here. Uh, for about 10 days now I guess and I was just able to get groceries yesterday um, because we didn't have anywhere to put them as far as you know anything cold or that needed to be cooked or anything like that so we've been you know doing eating out and fast food and like all that kind of stuff and I'm just like all right (laughs) bad bad habits gotta get the gotta get those bad habits out of the way but yeah Yeah. But man, but man, God is so good. Like God is so good. And with with everything, I do just want to say like how I'm just, I, I see the hand of God um, so much in mm. just getting us here, getting us to where we are. It was a struggle. Like we've talked a little bit about that, Brit, like the struggle yeah. to to get here and to find a, a home and to just everything. Mm. And now that it, it kept feeling like we're delayed. We're getting behind schedule. It, it kept feeling like that just in my flesh. But now being here and seeing God walk us through the process, it a lot of stuff that didn't make sense before makes sense now. That's and so just a lot of things um, came together. And we're here and we were talking yesterday in our, um, in our church uh, broadcast that we do on Sundays. We were talking about how really all of us, I didn't even realize it until... Um, my, my wife was talking about it a little bit yesterday. But we're walking around and uh, just having those kind of deja vu moments where it feels like I've been here before. And it's and I, and I feel like that so often is it's recognizing that you're walking in something that You've seen. Maybe it was something that God showed you or something that you saw in a dream or something like that. I mean, I went into a gas station yesterday morning to grab some coffee because we couldn't make coffee <laughs> here at the house yet. But I went into the gas station and the girl at the counter, I'm like, man, I swear, like I know this woman. Like I know, it. like I've seen her before. And it's just these, these things, even my kids have been saying it. They're walking around, they're like, I feel like I've been here before. And we've never been here before. I mean, I've been here once for like couple hours yes. uh you know what i mean in this area but mm-hmm. it was just um all that kind of stuff has been going on and so we really just see the hand of god uh just working and it's really really cool
1: it's so good i love those little supernatural reminders of not only where mm-hmm. you've been but where you've sort of known that you were going all along <laughs> but then when you yeah. see it whoa it's so yeah. exciting i love that your whole family's seeing it that's so special yeah. god's really yeah. good really really yeah good.
0: It, yeah, that's great. And, and one of the big answers to prayer, Britt, that I was I was also, you know, we were talking about this a second ago, too. Uh, but just to say my uh, I have a we have a 12 year old son and uh, he started sixth grade back in Alabama. And so we moved him halfway through the year, which is something we did not want to do. But it just happened that way. And he was just so just very nervous and, you know, everything about starting a new school. And we were nervous for him. And both of my kids, they, they love their schools. They, they like it better than what they had before. And yeah. so we're just, it, just the way that God is orchestrating things and, and putting things into place for us is just really, really just great. So anyway, all that to say, um, for those of you who have been uh, just praying for us, praying for our family, really, really appreciate you guys so, so much.
1: Oh, I'm yeah. so excited for you guys. This is awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, Britt, before we jump into some new stuff, I would love to, could we get a quick update just about the book, The Uncovery, and kind of, I know it's been kind of, a, well, I imagine maybe it's calmed down a little bit since the beginning, since the last time we <laughs> met this way, but I know it was kind of a whirlwind for a while and just a lot going on and, and everything, but um, how, what, what's, uh, what's the, the latest on just all of that?
1: Yeah. So the book, The Uncovery, which is uncovering the power of community to heal trauma, that book released on July 26th. My co-author, George A. Wood, and I have been Wow, frantically just working on publicity, promotions, like doing the things that authors do to get a book out into the world. But, you know, it's interesting when God asks you to steward something for him. And this message that he gave us is something that we were so surrendered at the very beginning that this idea of looking at recovery differently, we knew this was a message we were supposed to carry forward. But we kind of stepped in without expectations, without, you know, I mean, sure, we had goals, we had dreams, we had wonders and things like that. But we basically showed up and said, God, if we sell one book and it blesses one person and changes one person's life, it would have been worth it. It would have been worth it just to be faithful, even if there was no tangible result in the natural. Um, Within just a few weeks of launching, we hit number two bestseller on Amazon for Faith and Recovery, which gosh, for being two people who are kind of nobody and not super like Christian famous, we thought that was pretty awesome. So we were really excited with that. We also hit uh, we hit in top ranks for some really interesting categories like business, which I never would have seen that coming. But I guess a lot of recovery organizations do see themselves as businesses. But with the radical message of this book and the way that it came out, the conversations that have ensued since then, it is literally starting to transform communities from the inside out. Some of these these things are feel like growing pains for a lot of organizations Mm. that we partner with, even for George and I and our own families, our own personal ministries. It's been kind of wild to walk out this message that basically says, you know, just because we've always done something a certain way doesn't mean it's the right way to do it and doesn't mean that that's what God is up to. This idea of taking a look at recovery differently, really focusing on the trauma that causes us to struggle with things like addiction, struggles with our mental health, even thoughts about suicide. These are conversations that we, the church have really never had, at least not publicly. And so coming into that very tenderly And inviting the church to engage in this conversation, we are really trying to position recovery broadly as something that really is for everyone. Because if we want to get down to it, I don't care. If if you were perfectly fine before 2020, you're probably not now. There is something that you're struggling with, some sort of lingering impacts that the isolation, stress, and trauma we all collectively face together, we are now Mm -hmm. perhaps more than ever before all in a space where we can say, hey, there are days when I'm not Okay, And I want to give the world freedom to partner with God, to explore and name what those struggles really are. Look at that trauma, Mm -hmm. heal from it, and then not only step into the freedom and the promised land life that God has for us, but help others to do the same too. Of shame, so that's the the gist of the movement. To see how it is starting to impact our communities is just wild. We have you know mm-hmm. folks who I don't I don't know I would say they were Christian famous who have endorsed the book things like that. But to have people from their organizations reach out asking us questions like, would you please come do workshops? Would you come and teach us? We know how to do twelve steps. We know how to you know send people to the, the 30 day recovery program, we knew we know how to say like, it's okay not to be okay. But how do we walk this out in authentic community as a church body? These are the learning opportunities that we have. And what's so it's difficult, but it's also the unique and beautiful and even fun part about this is that every community is going to be a little different. So when you look Mm. at this, there really is no one size fits all approach to your own personal individual healing or to the corporate level of healing that I believe God is inviting us into. But in this shame free space, we are now being invited to a deal with our own stuff (laughs) for the first time ever, admit that we're struggling and pursue the help that we need and then have compassion to be moved with compassion just the way Jesus was, to step out and help those of us who are really struggling. And I wanna let y'all know, it's not always the people that you would (laughs) think. So in the midst of this, we have been so busy developing leadership curriculum and resources. We have um, a study guide and a leader guide, uh, PDF resources that are going to be available to everyone here very shortly. We have video curriculum that's out there for anybody who buys the book and wants to go deeper into any of the topics within it. And then I'm super excited to announce this, and I super hope my publisher is okay with it, but we just submitted (laughs) the end of December. We just... uh, submitted the manuscript for a 365 day devotional book to accompany oh, come on. the uncovery, which will come out at the end of this year, just before Christmas time. So, y'all, yeah, watch me, watch my page. I will let you know when it's coming out. And then feel free to watch. Um, George and I are doing reels. It'll start probably next month within this year where we'll be sharing some of the content from that book and inviting you into some deeper. Um, self-healing, self-regulation exercises that'll help prepare you to read The Uncovery mm. and engage with it in your communities. So man, we have been busy.
0: <laughs> it's unreal. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> this is literally the first time I've <laughs> said it. <in> <laughs> but uh, oh man, that that is so, uh, that's so exciting. I mean, I, I cannot, I mean, just I, I can't recommend um, the book enough. Um, if you haven't checked out The Uncovery, um, please get it and get a copy for somebody else. Get a copy to give away because you're going to want to mm-hmm. give it. I mean, I, I promise you, you start reading. I mean, you by the time you get through the first chapter, you're going to have at least two or three people on your mind that you're going to be wow. like, they need to read this book. Yeah. and if you're saying that it's also, I mean, you know, don't skip over the fact that you need to read the book too, but what you said there, it was, it was so well said. And I'm, I'm so pumped. I'm so, I'm so glad. I'm so grateful for you guys for this labor of love and this just act of obedience of getting all of this, this information and these resources out there and having these conversations. It's so needed. And you said, you, you, you mentioned a couple of things there. You, you talked about how these, Conversations are not conversations that we've typically had in the church, in the body of Christ. And then you mentioned the word shame. And when there's, there is so much um, shame that I, I just feel like God's kids walk around with and causes them to hold on to things and to not feel like they can be open and honest about things. Or maybe they've tried to be open and honest about things in the past and they were shamed or they were shunned or they were, you know, put down or the person or the people just didn't know how to handle it or whatever. But the more that we can have these, these important conversations and actually walk with people and do life with people, do life together. As you said, in, in community where we're, we're walking together and we're willing to, Put ourselves out there and be open and honest and vulnerable, um, with people, you know, and to, man, if we could just get rid of that, that, that shame stuff and just be honest about the, the things that we're feeling and the things that we're struggling with, how much more freedom Brit could we experience? Could we just know as the community of God's people? And so I'm just so grateful that you guys are doing this and, uh, congratulations on, on all the success and and just the the way it's been received.
1: Thank you. We are just thrilled and honored and completely humbled by it all. And we're so thankful to folks like you who are helping us get the message out. It's good stuff.
0: <laughs> so get it. Get your copy. The Uncovery. Uh, we get it on Amazon or where else would we uh, would we go to find also it? Also get
1: it on uh, shoptheword.com. They offer op- that's our publisher's unique distribution site, and they sometimes have discounts there, so it's a good place to check.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> shop the that's very cool uh well i um man thank you so much for the update and I, I i wanted to kind of back up now and uh last time you were on we we talked about the book and we kind of talked around those topics right we talked a lot about recovery and we talked about um trauma we talked about different things and uh now what i really wanted to do today was kind of back up and I'd love to hear some of your story and your testimony so we could kind of go back to the beginning. Just what was your what was your upbringing like? Did you grow up in a Christian home or did you meet Jesus later on or how, how did all of that kind of start for you?
1: You know, that question where you're raised in a Christian home is always the first <laughs> question people ask me. And my answer to that is always like, yes, with a question mark, (laughs) in that my parents were Christians. My parents were both in ministry. My dad was was a professor at a Christian university and a part-time choir director. So we were always heavily involved in church, heavily involved in all things religious and Jesus-centered. My parents did introduce me to Christ when I was young Mm -hmm. and I Remember, I can't remember if I shared this last time I was on your podcast or not, my my first real church experience, the first memory that I have was being about, I couldn't have been more than three or four years old, and I was in a Sunday school classroom in central Ohio and the teacher marched us all to the front of the sanctuary where they lined us up and passed one of those old school microphones like actually had the wire on it yes I'm that old they passed like the wired microphone down the line so all the little kids could pray the sinner's prayer in front of their parents and then get applause Mm. and so this is the kind of weirdness like that that kind of toxicity that kind of like step-by-step behavior is not very authentic to the heart of Christ. And yet in the churches that we were a part of when I was growing up, even in my own home, I don't think anyone had bad intentions, but I think my parents growing up in a very legalistic environment, what did they know to do? They grew, they raised me in one as well. (laughs) And we normalize. Right. And I knew From a very early age, especially since you know my mom was a Nazarene pastor's kid, my dad was choir director. Like we were one of the families that was always high visibility. There were high stakes. I learned early on that it was never really okay not to be okay, at least in public. When we show up at church, we are wearing our Sunday best, and I'm talking like white gloves and shiny patent leather shoes. I mean, you look hard. And the older that I got, it was more about how things looked on the surface than how they Mm. really were. And although my parents never expressly stated it to me, like, you have to make sure that you're okay, I knew that as ministers, it was our role to show up and love people who were struggling, but not to ever admit that we were struggling ourselves because it could bring shame on my dad. It could bring shame on my family. That was not something Mm. that was... So by the time I hit middle school, about roughly that age, and I began to struggle with a lot of the things that middle schoolers struggle with, like, yeah. wow, all of a sudden there's this whole confusing world out there. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know who I am. I don't. I know a lot about God because I was raised in the church, but I don't really yeah. know him at all. And so yeah. where does a 12-year-old go with that? <laughs> How do you walk it out? You begin to walk out what feels most comfortable to you in the natural. And you begin making compromises. You can, you can begin compartmentalizing in your life to where you can be one person at church, one person at school, one person with this friend group, and another with a different friend group. Yeah. I got very comfortable with that and very good at it. <laughs> So hiding in plain sight with a lot of my struggles that evolved over my coming teen years, I mean, gosh, everything that you could list, I struggled with depression, I struggled with anxiety, I struggled with Mm. just bad behavior, I was very experimental, I was very promiscuous, I tried alcohol and drugs at an early age, and yet, I still carried this very polished, good little Christian girl you on the outside nobody would have ever known other than those who were also hiding in plain sight and learning to compartmentalize just like I was. So it really got to a point in my teen years where things started to become unmanageable that my struggles with depression were getting thicker and the community of friends that I had begun surrounding myself with at school really glorified the idea of depression. And I grew up mm. in the- 90s. So I was I was born in 1980. And then in, you know, mid 90s, like 1994, Kurt Cobain commits suicide. Um, There's this whole alternative movement that you step into that really glorified the struggle And at the time, I think that outcry was like a much needed outcry because I think people were struggling in silence and never had a voice for it before. But when I even think of some of the music, the lyrics that I would listen to as a teenager, it's no wonder I was depressed. The things that I allowed into my heart, that I allowed into my life. I mean, people singing and knowing that the lyrics are really talking about suicide And I somehow thought that that was romantic or glorious or whatever. And I began Mm. to, I don't think I was even aware of it, but I began to partner with it mentally, emotionally, even spiritually. And I won't say that I ever rebelled or walked away from God. I actually always believed that God existed. I just believed he was mad at me. (laughs) Because I tried to be a good girl. I didn't work out. So, yeah, I just just pretended. I lived my life as if God couldn't see me and didn't know me. And I just sort of pretended. Ended like he didn't exist. And then as my anxiety came to a peak around age 15, I just, oh, wow. I, I was so caught up in this nightmare, this web of lies that I had been living. Some things were starting to come to the surface that I could no longer hide from my parents. I could no longer hide from friends. Mm. I, uh, My life had full on become mm. unmanageable even though I didn't have the language for that at the time. That's really a traditional recovery language. My life had become unmanageable. And because I had no safe spaces to go to, I couldn't really go to my parents and tell them that I was struggling. I didn't have a pastor or a youth pastor confidant that I could really go to mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to get out. My next natural thought was, well, I guess maybe suicide is a viable option for me. Mm-hmm. So at 15 years old, I was hospitalized for attempted suicide. And this was my parents' mm. first real understanding of what I had been going through. And it, of course, wow. came as a shock to them as they had raised their good little girl in a Christian home and, and done all of the things that, gosh, by definition, they checked every box. They gave me every opportunity. They were loving. They were kind. They just had no context for the the world I was living in and the life that I was trying to live. Um, All of that said, you know, this question of where you raised in a Christian home and my, Mm -hmm. my regular admission that the church Mm -hmm. often handles this kind of thing very poorly. And with a shame based response, my parents did not respond that way. My parents were, once they got over the initial shock and the initial devastation of everything, they could not have been more supportive to me. I don't think they always knew what to do, but they were always for me, and so even you know, at the at the risk of you know negative perceptions within the church, they got me connected with a counselor uh, to meet mm. with regularly and work through some of my anxiety issues. They allowed me to experiment with medication, which was good and bad, depending on which which uh, dose and how how long I was on it. Um, there are lots of lots of people need medication. I don't know that I did, and some of the medication that was being tested at the time, especially on, on adolescents could actually make symptoms worse instead of making them better. Mm. So a lot of back and forth and experimentation. Um, even coming back from the idea of not really wanting to die, I still didn't know what to do with the pain that was in my heart. And I, Mm. I didn't know what that outlet was supposed to be. And even with a Christian counselor, even with loving Christian parents, no one was quite showing me as, it, showing me Christ is the solution. No one was really right. showing me Jesus other than asking me, well, isn't Jesus Christ your Lord and personal Savior? And I'd be like, yeah, I prayed the prayer when I was like four. It's, it's done. I know it's done. Um, and if that was true, that should have been enough. Wow. And it became an inadvertent shame-based response that said, oh, well, I guess if Jesus isn't enough for you, then what's wrong with you? You're off. So this struggle, this back and forth, I mean, it continued throughout my high school years and throughout dating and throughout, you know, trying to figure out who I was, who I was going to be. There were times when I kind of pulled it together for a while. (laughs) I would have some seasons of, of normalcy, of sobriety, of very, at least on the surface, from a mental health perspective, I looked really good. Um, I graduated from high school. I joined the United States Marine Corps the summer after I graduated, pretty much just to see what my parents would do. I call it an act of rebellion. I think they still see it that way. You (laughs) yeah. Hey, I'm okay. I could do this. Watch Mm -hmm. me. And I wanted the world to see that I was strong. And I, I had to do something to prove it to everyone else, but also to prove it to myself because I had still, even in the limited healing that I had found, I had no idea who I was. I had no idea who God really was or who I was in him because I didn't have that kind of relationship with him. I believed in God. I I heard the stories. I knew what Jesus had done for me and I had accepted it, but I don't know that I had ever really received his grace in full because I was consistently put back into a place where I I don't, I can't remember if I told you this before Duke, but I, I literally believed growing up in these legalistic environments. The way that I was taught was that God is sitting up on a cloud. He's angry with me every time I sin. He's making it some like tick mark on a chalkboard somewhere and keeping right. track of everything. And then if I go to the altar on Sunday and I confess all my sins and I repent, he'll wipe my slate clean. And I, and you just do that every Sunday because gosh, you're sinning and you don't even know you're sinning. And I, I grew up believing that if I was driving a car. And a Mack truck in the other lane went left of center. And I said a four-letter word before I got hit and died that I would go straight to hell because I didn't have a chance to repent from that. And I'm just like, when you grow up in an environment like that, it's exhausting to keep track of it all. No one was teaching me back then, not even my parents, who, honestly, I don't know that they knew either. I don't know that they knew how finished the work of the cross was. Hmm. I don't know if they knew how loved and forgiven they already were. And so how could they teach me? How could they really invite me into that kind of relationship with God when I'm not convinced they had it either? And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying anybody's salvation's on the line here. Like, it's pretty basic. John three sixteen. like we know what we're getting into, but there's more. There's more to the beauty of the sacrifice of the cross. There's more to the Holy Spirit-led relationship Mm. we are invited into. Like, we're not just like accepting Jesus as our personal Savior. Like, we are this, the Holy Spirit is choosing to set up shop and live within us. Not even just like live inside us in a little compartment. Like, we are literally one. Nobody was teaching me this. And if they were teaching it anywhere, I don't know where they were teaching it. But as I came to discover some of these things throughout my life, and wow, it took decades to get to that point. It took getting married. It took having children. It took going through undergraduate college and going to graduate school, like going through a 15-year career, thinking I could have anything that I wanted in the natural. And by the time I was 33, my whole life that I had built with my own two hands (laughs) by bootstrapping myself since I was about 12, my life was still just as unmanageable as it was when I was a girl. just as unmanageable. And then it finally got to a point where I couldn't hide any longer. I couldn't compartmentalize any longer. I couldn't be a wife and a mom and a Christian and a professional and an aspiring entrepreneur while I was having emotional affairs with men at work and mm. lying to my husband on a regular basis and even making plans to get my own apartment, move out. And mm. I would regularly fantasize and envision what would my life look like if I was free, free of all of these obligations, if I could just do what I wanted and be happy. Like it is possible to have all of these thoughts at the same time and not have them regulated. You want to be the good wife, the good Christian wife, the good Christian mom, the good Christian girl, and also want nothing to do with any of it. This is just this inner turmoil that's there, but it really took, um, it took my life falling completely apart. I, I lost a very difficult friendship and my husband after gosh, it was about seven years into our marriage, confessed that he'd been unfaithful, like I'd been unfaithful. Mm. And we both realized, we're staring at each other thinking, "This, this is our out. We could be done right now. But there was something that happened in that moment of confession, after years of building separate and autonomous lives under the same roof, after years of you know, lying and scheming and manipulating and trying to just get what we wanted out of life, suddenly through what I believe is Holy Spirit-led intervention, we both were able to articulate that we had a desire to stay together. And we didn't even know why. We said, what is that about? I don't know why. We were both heartbroken to find out, gosh, we were scratching the surface of what what we were admitting compared to what the reality Hmm. was we were already heartbroken both of us just knowing how bad it had been but then we agreed what if we got to lose let's go to counseling let's see what happens and so we were connected with a brilliant marriage counselor who's a friend of ours now to this day I know you're not really supposed to do that in counseling but we just did it anyway
0: (laughs) we just did it we
1: talk about stuff that intimate it's like you can't leave it in the office it's going to spill into your life um We sat down with him the first time and I was really nervous because I thought that this counselor would look at me, look at my life, look at my trauma and just say, yep, it's all her, it's all her fault. It's all her problem. And she's the one that needs to work Hmm. on it all. You probably deserve better, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I could not believe how straightforward he was with both of us, how honest he was with both of us and how compassionate and loving he was. Even looking at our situation, this pastor, this counselor that we were dealing with could have so easily just shamed us into a place of repentance, but that's not what he did. He said, well, we're going to, we're going to work together for several weeks, but before we do anything, before we start to try to address the surface level problems that you're facing and just try to fix them by manhandling them, he said, we need to dig into the trauma the things that have happened to you in your past that have led you to this place of desperation, to think that this is the kind of life that you want to lead. He said, there's some kind of spiritual dysfunction that's going on here. And until we name that, we can't deal with it. And so, oh, by the grace of God, this counselor walked my husband, Mike, and I through um, a book by Neil T. Anderson called The Bondage Breaker. Have you heard of The Bondage Breaker?
0: Yeah, yeah, I have it on my bookshelf over here. but yeah.
1: So yeah. we did the bondage breaker together. And wow, the things that came to the surface, things that I had never even mm-hmm. realized that I had partnered with in my early life, like, you know, in the 90s, along with the depression culture, there was also a glorification of the occult and so many things that even though I wasn't a witch, I didn't go like to that level of identification. There were so many things that I had partnered with in the yes. past um, things in the occult. I had partnered with, you know, the lie of how same sex attraction could make me much more attractive to men, which created big issues for me in my adult life. So there were so many things that doing the bondage breaker together, we not only had to stare at our own lives, our own past and be like, wow, this was not okay. But then also to lay ourselves bare before one another as husband and wife and say, do you know what? For the first time ever, we'd have no more secrets. No more secrets. Wow. Because if we have secrets, we can't be one. (laughs) If we have secrets, we can't be aligned. We can't possibly discern and hear what God's call is for our life if we're not aligned as man and wife. So for the first time, there were no secrets. And Oh my goodness, it created pain and tension. And I mean, a lot, of, a lot of tears, a lot of questions, a lot of hard stuff to work through. But at the end of each new revelation, even you know the lies we had spoken to each other, at the end of each revelation, the words of the Holy Spirit would keep putting into my mouth to speak over my husband were, thank you. Thank you for telling me. I had no idea you were struggling with that. Wow. Thank you for telling me because now that you have we can be free of it we can move forward Now, textbook on paper call any lawyer we ha- either of us had anything we need to walk away and be done with the marriage and honestly probably would have been easier <laughs> probably sure. would have been easier sure. to not do that hard heart work to not choose one another to not choose our daughter but that was not god's best for our life it's not what he wanted and I'm certainly, I'm certainly not someone who walks around shaming people who end up in a place of divorce. We are all, every single one of us, one or two steps away in our lives from complete destruction. Complete destruction. And so in that humility, Mike and I now, gosh, we, we just celebrated 19 years in August. So it's been a long time that we've been married. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. We are happier today and more fulfilled today than we ever have been. And when I say happy, I'm not saying we have everything that we want, or we are now in a position where our happiness and our, our marriage, even our existence together comes from putting God's our relationship with God first, letting yeah. him lead us. And then as we move forward, it honestly has nothing to do with getting what we want, it has everything to do with giving all of ourselves to the other. And when you have two willing parties, willing to do that, and the Holy Spirit in the middle, it's not just happiness that you experience. It is transcendent joy. It transcends your circumstance. You don't look at your life and say, oh, am I happy? You look at your life and say, I can't believe I get to live this life with you. This is amazing. Even in the dark days, even in the hard times, in the hard moments, even in... (laughs) Even on those horrible days during COVID quarantine when we'd stare across the couch at each other and say, are you still here? (laughs) Even when you need a minute. This life that we get to live together is only by the grace of God. And so when you experience this kind of total life transformation, not just individually and personally, but in a family, in a marriage, you get excited (laughs) and you start talking about it. And so the things that we found early into our our marriage recovery is that so many people in the church don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about marriage. Like even as we started, I remember early, 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 in our, our marriage recovery, we started talking out loud to some family members, to some people in our church about the kind of transformation we had walked through. And everyone encouraged us, "You don't, know, don't talk about that anywhere. Don't ever let anyone know that you were struggling like that. It was almost like there was shame for even coming through something miraculous with what God was doing hmm. because there was infidelity, because there was, you know, struggle because we weren't the pretty pictures that everyone believed we were. Nobody loves it when you lay yourself bare. Nobody really likes it. The first time you ever start to wear yourself and your heart out on your sleeve, no one really likes vulnerability, but we need it. Wow. And when we're not willing to step out and be vulnerable. We teach others the lie that it's, it's safer to be in secret. It's safer to live in shame and just never tell anyone, never admit the struggle, never admit what you've gone through. And that perpetuates, unfortunately, these systemic issues that we have, even in the church, struggles in marriage, struggles with addiction, struggles with our mental health. We don't talk about it because we are so terrified of the backlash that will come with being honest. And this is why you're seeing people. There's a mass exodus going on in the church right now. People are leaving in droves. They even tried to come back after the pandemic and they're like, I'm not sure I missed this. Wow. It's when things are false, when we can't be a safe haven for sinners and we try to position ourselves as some elitist country club for saints, we miss out (laughs) on an opportunity to fulfill the great mission. This is what we're supposed to do to bring about hope and healing and to testify to God's goodness in our lives. It has nothing to do with us. We are nothing. We are no one without Christ in us, but with him in us. We are one in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit with a good father God who has a plan for us and for our lives and has had it since before the foundations of the earth. He knew everything I would walk through. He knew every struggle that I would have. And all of it, even those difficult days, even in every bad decision that I made, it was all for my good and his glory.
0: Mm -hmm. He was
1: through it. And it's wild, the promised land life that he can invite you into. So yeah, I just, I now, and my husband as well, we are very open and very excited about sharing the things that God has done in our lives, not not because we're proud of what we've been through. Oh, gosh, no, it was terrible. (laughs) It was terrible, and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But I can't imagine my life not having walked through the hardships that we did. We wouldn't be married. I wouldn't have a daughter, or if I did have her, I wouldn't have a relationship with her. I wouldn't be alive, Duke. I would not be alive had God God not brought me out of darkness and into the light. This is how he wants us to walk. And it's how we need to teach our people to walk.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, that phrase right there, That that's, um, I, I can't think of the the reference that it is, but the out of, out of, he brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And it just sums up so beautifully everything that you just said. It, it's such a scheme and such a lie of of hell to, keep us living in that place of secrecy, living in that place of darkness, living in that place of hiding things and covering things up and not allowing those things to be exposed, you know, not, not allowing God's light and his grace and his goodness to shine on those things. Because as you said, it's just easier. And it, and it feels like so often we, we grow up or we live in a culture where it feels like that's what people want us to do. Like people want me to just keep these things inside because whenever I try to bring them out, it's like they don't want to, it's uncomfortable. And so to kind of keep the status quo of whatever, whatever structure, church, community, organization, whatever it is that we're a part of to kind of keep the status quo, we kind of learn that it's just easier to keep these things bottled up. The problem is that, god has designed us for community and community is not being around a bunch of people that are faking it right? right like community is not just being in a group of people that you you call it what did you call it a uh country club christians or something like, like something like that that kind of thing where it's just like a social club kind of in atmosphere where we're keeping everything very, very surface level, that's not the idea of community. I mean, when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he washed the feet of his disciples and he said, as I've done this for you, I did this to you as a demonstration so that you can actually do this for one another. I want you to clean each other's dirty, nasty, disgusting feet. And I think that that's a beautiful picture of what it is to walk and to do life with people. He said, I've already cleansed you. You're already cleansed because of the word that I've spoken to you, but you're going to go through life. And you're going to pick stuff up along the way. You're going to pick stuff up along the road that's going to need to be cleansed. And that happens through serving one another. That happens through walking in community and walking in relationship with one another. It's not all going to happen by sitting in a pew in church on Sunday and hearing a good message or whatever. There's going to be stuff where you've got to actually get involved in people's lives and be willing to peel back the layers and be willing to get into the nitty gritty and to see things for people what they are. And and I, I love that you I, I love that you talked about your marriage there because I think that it's such a beautiful picture of what this looks like. Um because as you said, it would have been so much easier to part ways and say there's been too much pain, there's been too much, you know, heartbreak, there's been too much trauma. And it's just easier to not deal with it. But thank God for that um, marriage counselor. Like, it, it is so amazing. And, uh, you know, I've experienced this at different points in my life. It's so amazing when you're walking around carrying so much just weight of guilt and shame to the point that you don't even know how to unpack it. Mm-hmm. And you finally work up the courage to go to somebody and to talk. Yeah. And your expectation is that, you know, this person is going to destroy me. This person is going to shame me. This person is going to be so disappointed. They're going to be so let down because I've, because of what I'm about to tell them. And when that person meets you with love and compassion, you know what I mean? Like when that, when, when the person on the other side of that conversation meets you with, with grace and with mercy, that does something to a person like that 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 does something to you because it's like oh i i thought (laughs) like that's what that's what we're doing like i've been it's almost like why have i been holding on to this for so long just thinking that everybody's the same and everybody's going to be mad or disappointed in me and that's just such a that's just such a beautiful thing um that you guys man there's so much i want to unpack there but uh thank you so much for sharing
1: Of course, I think one one thing that's important to what you just said, even when you decide, my life has become unmanageable and I'm gonna have to step out and I'm gonna have to get help, you may encounter people who do not know how to receive you. And Mike and I, before Hmm. we did marriage counseling, before we really laid bare before one another and said, this is it, this is everything, we did share little pieces with some people who we loved and trusted and thought, you know, this is who you go to for help. And we received shame. We received guilt. <laughs> we, we had so many people who were well-meaning, but they literally did pretty much what every traditional recovery program out there tells you to do, which is, well, just stop. Just stop doing just it. Stop. Just stop. Don't you love God? Just stop. Thank you <laughs> what great advice just pray
0: harder just pray harder guys you're not praying you gotta fast more you got yeah. you-
1: <laughs> so a, b- a big part of my life's work with all of this with the the book the uncovery with the devotional that's coming out we need to understand as the body of christ our leaders have not been well prepared to receive raw honest vulnerability from our people yes This is a problem and it's something that can be learned. That's what I love. (laughs) It can be learned, it is hard. And if there are leaders who are listening to this right now, this is the opportunity for you to take a hard look at the way that you're loving people and to ask yourself, what's working? What's not working? And what more would God have me do? How can you respond in grace and not be so concerned that you showing grace in the heart of Christ by just being Jesus with skin on, stop being so concerned. That's going to enable somebody's sin. Just like Christ, you have the capacity to know how to calibrate invitation and challenge with people who are struggling. There are times when we really need a kick in the butt. When we are not dealing with things well, when we're being entitled, when we're, you know, just completely disassociating, occasionally you do need a kick in the butt. But more often than not, especially if someone is reaching out in honesty, asking for help, begging for help, Mm. what if you could receive them with mercy? What if you could receive what they were saying and not immediately have to fix it? Just listen. And if you don't know what to do, guess what? It's okay. It's okay. Because you cannot be responsible for anybody else's journey as one person. You certainly can't. But as the body of Christ in authentic community, we can be responsible for Mm. one another. We can step in. And when we don't know what the right next step is, we can walk with people until we get them to the right next step and find it together. But just tempering our responses, being willing to listen more than we talk, can be really helpful, <laughs> especially for someone yes. who's bearing their soul. And then to unapologetically point to Christ, but suspend disbelief for a little bit that they don't already know him and love him and they're not already chosen by him. Mm-hmm. This is what people need to be invited into. People do not know how loved and forgiven they really are by God. They don't know. Or they would not struggle in the way that they do. It's true. But when they discover it, <laughs> when they really know how loved and forgiven they are, and when they really receive it into the core of their being, they can heal. They can move forward. And they can help others heal as well. There's an old saying in, in recovery circles that helps you deal with some of the trauma, things that happened to you. And the saying is, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. Healed people heal people and freed people will free people. This is the nature of it. So this is an opportunity for us, the church, not just leaders, but lay people, people who are just showing up curious. This is an opportunity for us to love radically in ways that would almost seem reckless to the rest of the world.
0: I'm so, I'm I'm like, I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm so glad you went there because it was it was exactly where my mind was because as (laughs) as I was saying what I was saying I was like yeah but there's like this (laughs) yeah but because it's like it's not just a matter of of me in a lot of cases sometimes it is but it's not always just a matter of me like oh I just got to be open like I just got to talk about this stuff I just got to tell people it's it's I got to because we've we've got to be in family we've got to be in community we've got to be with people that are willing to walk with us the way that jesus would of course they're not going to do it perfectly but but we've got to at least be with people that are willing to you know not just shame us and not just do the, you know put us in this box or say that we're disqualified or whatever and so the part of the challenge that we're dealing with is that this is actually a it's it's the problem is kind of systemic right because it goes back I was thinking about you know as you were talking earlier about kind of growing up in that culture of church and like putting on the pretty face and the pretty clothes and kind of being there and, and just kind of acting like everything is good and okay meanwhile on the inside you're dying you know on the inside you're you don't you don't know which way is right, wrong. You don't know how to connect with God um, because you're not being taught those things. You're being taught how to look like everything is all together. And if we're being taught those things from a young age, if we're being taught those things on the Sunday school level of just say the sinner's prayer, I'm going to hand you this microphone. Everybody's watching. Just say it so that you get the words out and it's done. Like if I'm learning those things from a young age, how much is that going to just filter into me? Now I'm an adult and maybe I've, you know, maybe I've got some of that stuff in me because I grew up in that kind of an environment and maybe now I'm in ministry or maybe now I'm leading people on on some level and Now my tendency is to hide things because it's what I was taught. It's what was modeled to me and it's what I learned. It's what I learned was okay. And so it's more than just a problem of sometimes it's more than just the problem of, I, I'm afraid to share. It's, Mm -hmm. I don't even know how because I've never seen what that looks like. I've never seen what authentic community looks like. And so this is, I think this is what you're saying is, is so it's so key that as on, on every level on, on the leadership level, in particular, that we've got to learn how to create those safe spaces for people to open where they do feel loved unconditionally, and they do know that they're accepted and they do know that they're forgiven. And this idea you, you, you mentioned this earlier. This idea of well, if you were really a Christian, if, if you really prayed that prayer and you really meant it, then you would never be thinking this way or feeling this way because Christians don't act like that. Really, <laughs> Christians don't have those kind of thoughts. Christians, and it's like, well, hold on, hold on. Like, let's let's back up and recognize that, like, th- this this it's thing. What'd you say? It's not true. It's just not true. <laughs> If you knew some of the thoughts that go through my head, Britt, you know?
1: Well, here's, here's the issue, especially from a leadership standpoint. It is up to people like you do, core planning churches, up to me, people who are actively working in ministry, like training leadership development groups, doing all this kind of stuff. It is going to be up to us to set the example, but we can't set the example unless we know what's at stake and acknowledge it what hmm. happens to leaders who hide they're exposed and they fall hard it's so unnecessary and then the rest yep. of us we the church put these leaders on such an unrealistic pedestal and expect them to be perfect and holy and blameless in their own strength
0: <laughs> we assume <laughs> that we assume that the that because somebody has a platform we assume that they also have the character and it's not always the case. Yeah. No,
1: and we have seen, even in the last handful of years, so many leaders are falling. I don't believe they're, and there, and there are lots of, there are so many different opinions about this and I'm not here to go overly theological on sure. you, but even this deconstruction thing that everybody's going through right now, we're going through it because we have idolized Our leaders, we've idolized them to a point where our expectations of them are so wholly unrealistic, they could never possibly meet them. And then when they can't meet them, they hide. They pretend that they're meeting them just fine. And then the power surge comes and they begin to shame others for not meeting those same kinds of expectations. Mm -hmm. So the cycle is vicious. But here's a great place for leaders to start, and it's a safe place usually for leaders to start, to start with a very small, intensive cohort of other leaders. I'm talking two or three close friends and commit to entering into intensive discipling relationships with one another. Mm. Create at least one safe space in your life as a leader where you could say anything, anything. (laughs) And that someone will live through it. It might take you a while to find even one other person this way, but trust me, they're out there and they want Mm -hmm. it too. They really do. They're just not sure if it's even okay to want it. It is okay to want it. I'm not saying you go on Facebook Live and like confess all of your sins to the world and like regular it's not about that. That's not wise from a leadership standpoint. But to be honest about what you're struggling with. Is a whole lot easier than being honest about your often very public moral failures when you inevitably fall from this high perch that you're teetering on. There is so much at stake because when leaders fall, the people who follow them are sheep without a shepherd. They have no idea where to go. And they might be able to lean in in their own strength and try to chase after Jesus or go find another leader or who knows, step into leadership themselves. But until we come against some of these systemic barriers for not only leaders, but the whole rest of the church, we've got to create safer spaces for people to process through our struggles, to understand everything we're dealing with is learned behavior. We don't come into the world afraid. We might be cold. We might be naked. We might want our moms. But we don't come into the world with these deep-seated anxieties and fears. We come into the world just kind Mm -hmm. of expecting we're going to be taken care of. It's going to be all right. We learn these behaviors over time. But as leaders, the more open and honest we choose to be in public settings, and I'm not saying you have to air all of your dirty laundry. That's not what it is. But even like me, I didn't give you all of the gory details of everything my husband and I ever did to portray one another. That would be a long episode. (laughs) But although you didn't get every detail, my husband and I now can step out with full authority and in agreement with one another. Like, yes, it helps people to know they're not alone. It helps other people to know you can be a Christian, you can live this cookie cutter looking lifestyle on the outside and be struggling on the inside with things people never dreamed you would struggle with. And the more we're willing to admit how hard life can be sometimes, the more able we will be to heal and the more we will be able to invite other people to admit they're struggling too and pursue healing from it. This is how we break the systemic pieces, not just for leaders, but not just for the church, for the whole world. It's not in some legalistic like, okay, come in and if you confess all of your sins and repent and I don't know, walk out a good Christian life for a little while, then we'll let you know if you're in. No. What if in church people came and they couldn't explain it, but they belonged before they even knew what to believe?
0: That's right this is the
1: opportunity for us. It's exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so good. That's so good. Creating that culture of, um, of open, like creating that culture where it's, it's normal, right? Like it's, it's normal to be open with one another. And it's normal to, to say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, yeah, I, I think about, um, some of these, you know, there, there, there's been, there's been a lot of, as you mentioned um, people in very prominent leadership, ministry positions that have, that have fallen, they've been exposed. And and I just think that started somewhere, right? Like it started somewhere. Maybe it started with thoughts. Uh, maybe it started with, you know, emotions. Maybe it started, you know, it's, it started somewhere. And if that, if that, if, you know, in those situations i mean you know maybe not every single one but but it in those places where something is beginning to take place and you're starting to have a struggle somewhere what if you could be open and honest with with friends in your life about that that could actually help you walk through it and maybe you need counseling maybe you need therapy maybe you need something for a, a season of time or whatever to walk through that with somebody to make sure that it doesn't become this thing where 5 years down the road it's all going to fall apart yes. and you know, because you mentioned, you at least alluded to this earlier, and it's something that I've seen play out um, in my life where I, I think that part of the the deceptiveness of sin and holding on to things, the, the, the deceptiveness of shame and something that the enemy really uses, I think, to control people through shame is, the, is this thing where, I I remember like I would get to this place in my mind where I'd be struggling with something and I would feel so much shame over it and guilt over it and I would try to do right but I would fail again and it was just like kind of like this shame cycle Mm -hmm. and I would eventually get to the point where I'd be so fed up with how I felt that I would actually lean into the sinful lifestyle more Mm -hmm. because at least then I had an escape. And, and at least then I didn't have to, it's almost like what you talked about compartmentalizing. I'm going to hide from God with oh, from fr- this, this part of my life, I'm going to completely hide it from God. So now it becomes this thing where I'm not walking under this guilt and this shame and condemnation to the same extent that I was, because now this is just, it's not something that I'm trying to get out of anymore. It's just who I am. <laughs> and so I don't know if that makes sense or not the way I'm saying that, but I, I would see that kind of, thought process play out in my in my life, where I'd be like, I can't deal with this back and forth anymore. So let me just lean into it. And I feel like if we are unable, or we are unwilling, or we don't know how to be open and honest with our struggles, on, you know, whatever level we're at, we can, uh, the enemy is just gonna keep unraveling that string he's going to keep pulling it and he and he wants to just drive you deeper and deeper into that thing mm-hmm. and I, I just think that if we're not careful we can we can get to the we can get to that place where we just kind of start giving into it and or leaning into it i should say uh to where you know you you can you can see things really begin to spiral out of control very very quickly but you know my, my thing is if if we're willing as we see these things start to happen, to kind of get over the, the shame of of opening up and being honest about what we're struggling with and how we're feeling, mm-hmm. then, you know, I think that we could prevent a lot of those big, huge collapses that we so often see. But again, we've got to cultivate that culture of, of openness and that willingness to walk with people and to demonstrate compassion, you know?
1: Yes. And it really comes with a culture of true accountability. Problem Mm -hmm. is, the traditional culture of accountability that we have developed in our recovery programming, in our church programming, et cetera, that accountability is shame-based. And when we come forward and we say, I've sinned, I've struggled, we have uh, have inappropriately misinterpreted uh, repentance, to be penance, we have to pay for what we done. That that's actually a really interesting story. The original word for uh, repentance is like metanoia in the original in the original Greek, and the early King James translation of the Bible translated that word to be repentance, which has a root word of penance, which is not what it means at all. <laughs> Real repentance simply means to change your mind. Now, when you're dealing with sin and you get into these sin cycles, these struggle cycles, these compulsive behaviors where we're like, even Paul's words, oh, I do the thing that I do not want to do. Like, what is this about? The reason we do it is because in our current state, it is more painful to abstain than it is to do it. When we reach for alcohol, when we reach for porn, when we reach for any of this stuff, we do it because it relieves emotional pain. It also causes emotional pain. It also Mm -hmm. puts us in a situation where ultimately it makes our life even more unmanageable because the things that we cling to for relief, release, escape are the very things that are killing us slowly, that's physically or spiritually. They're creating barriers between us and God, not because he's going anywhere, but because we are putting him at arm's length. So to get to a point where you can at least acknowledge this is hurting me more than it's helping me. Even if you say, I don't know what to do, that's basically stepping out of denial. Like the first step in any kind of recovery program where you're looking at your sin and saying, this is, this is getting out of control. I'm having problems with this. Stepping out of denial does not mean that you immediately know what to do. Yeah. You need people who can surround you, who you can text when you're in a weak moment or a moment where you're really, say you're struggling with your mental health or you're having a panic attack. Who could you text who wouldn't try to talk you out of it or convince hmm. you out of it somehow, but could just listen, who could pray with you, who could help you explore alternatives to losing losing your mind in the moment? What would it look like for us it's as good. a church to show up as a shame, judgment-free space for people to come and say, I'm hurting and I need help? Yeah. In time, the, it's, it's neurological. The more you abstain, the less you want something. That's true. But shaming people out of addictive and compulsive behavior It's not even a thing. You can be sober for 20 years and still be a dry drunk. It's ugly. It's ugly. So our opportunity with this is to say, what does it look like to build an entirely new life? A life with a community of people who can surround you and love you when you're struggling and that will love you unconditionally, whether you make the right decision or you don't. They're still going to be there. They're still going to love you. This kind of unconditional love is what Jesus shows to us. It's not the angry God with the chalkboard up in heaven (laughs) waiting for you to pray and wipe your slate clean. In fact, your slate got wiped clean more than 2000 years ago, and you could never even do anything to muck it up again. That said, wow, if you knew how loved and forgiven you really were, you might act like it. You might start walking it out. And then what? you get healed, you get free, you get sober. So for us as leaders, as people who are even open to entertaining this conversation, because not a lot of people are, not a lot of people want to have this conversation. It's okay. Mm -hmm. They need recovery too. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're having these conversations, we're actually... Being presented with an opportunity to start creating some of these communities, these safe space communities, even if it starts with two or three people or where one or two are gathered, two or three are gathered, three or four are gathered, you know how this works. And in time, you find this kind of authentic community by being it yourself. Mm -hmm. Grace attracts grace. So this is our opportunity. If you don't, if people are listening now, and they're like, "That all sounds great, but I don't have anywhere to go." Start by being that safe place mm. to one other person. When Whoa. somebody comes to you with a struggle and doesn't know what to do, resist the temptation to fix it or to shame them into obedience. Just listen, love them, help them figure out the next step. That's all. You, that's all you need to do. Yeah
0: one of the things that you mentioned earlier and you just came back to it. Uh, so I, I I just, I want to say that I've uh, resonated so much with, um, you know, kind of what you were talking about growing up with that feeling that, you know, God's God's there, but he's, he's angry at me all the time. And it's like, every time I I mess up, every time I do something wrong, he's waiting. you, You talked about you know that thought process of driving in the car and if you were to crash and say a four-letter word then you're, you're going to hell if you don't have time to repent like that mm-hmm. that kind of just idea that god is up there to control us and he's frustrated and disappointed with us i, I remember growing up in church i would be terrified to take communion um because i was always uh we would we'd would read those verses. from Corinthians that, that talk about communion. And, um, I, it was presented to me or maybe it was presented to me wrong or I took it wrong or whatever, but, but the way that I understood it was that I can't, I cannot physically drink this bread or eat this bread and drink this cup. If there is anything like any kind of sin in my life. So I would be terrified because from the from the start of the communion presentation to the end, if there was like four or five minutes there, I'd be worried about the thoughts going through my head. And am I sinning in my thought? Am I sitting in my thought life accidentally without even knowing it? And I would be so like like that's the kind of like just condemnation I carried with me, like as a kid and as a teenager. And I was afraid of it. And it was like, hold on, like this is not here. This is not in place for you to be afraid of it. This is here so that you can actually walk in a greater level of freedom and when we present anything when we present any part of the gospel in a way that's like condemning that's terrifying that's hold on like that's not what Jesus came to do he came to save people he came to set people free and and what you were talking about a second ago there about it's like when when the when i feel like the weight is on me i'm going to make really bad decisions but when i recognize that He took all of the weight, all of the weight of my sin, all of it. He took it upon himself once and for all. And so it's like, no matter what I do today, no matter what I do tomorrow, I'm not going to ruin my salvation. I'm not going to ruin his perfect finished work because I mess up, because I make a mistake, because I fall into a sin struggle, because of whatever. And so I think that that's a really big kind of, um, I I don't know, well, I don't think calling it first step is, is really helpful here in this scenario. But, but I think that it's so important to get out from under that mindset of the, the condemnation and the weight of those things that we've, that we've carried or that we are carrying and recognizing that he came to set things in order. He came to set our lives in order. He came to make us right. He came to make us whole and as long as i'm trying to get there in my own strength it's it's not going to happen i'm going to probably make it worse and i can as you said like i can just white knuckle it and i can abstain from something long enough where i lose the habit of it but if i'm not actually being set free from it yeah. i might i might never go back to it but what else is going to spring up along the way that's going to be like the thing that i do instead of that and it brings me back to something that you said in your book. I brought this up last time because, it like, as I when I read it, it just completely blew my mind because um, it was a different a different look at what what true recovery should be. Because you you guys mentioned in the book about how um, so often the best that we can hope for with traditional recovery programs is to get back to our crappy life, excuse the paraphrase, but to get back to the crappy life that we had before we fell into that particular addictive uh, behavior pattern. And it's like, no, we don't want you to just be sober, but not free. <laughs> like we, we, what Jesus came to do for you is to completely set you free and to bring change. And so often Britt, I just, um, I was wondering if uh, I could ask you is as, we'll, we'll get ready to wrap this up. Um, but to kind of speak into something for a moment here. Um, I, I know what it's like. I know you know what it's like. And so many people and probably people listening to this know what it's like to be so weighted down, so bogged down by things that we've done wrong, sin, struggles, addiction, challenges that we're having, things that have been done to us, whatever, but to be so weighted down that it feels almost overwhelming to say, well, what do I do with this? Like, what's, how do I even begin? You know, there's times where I've gone to talk to a friend or I've gone to talk to a leader, or I've just gone and uh, shut myself in to, to do business with God, so to speak. And it's like, I'm carrying, I feel like I'm carrying so much. It almost makes me afraid to talk to God about it or to talk to somebody about it because I don't even know if I can be made whole or it seems like the distance between where I am and where I need to be like, just to get back to where I used to be (laughs) like the distance from where I am now to where like, I feel like I need to be seems so far that it's overwhelming for me to even kind of begin to walk that process out or to know what to do with some of that stuff. Um, Does that make sense? I'm wondering if you could kind of, Speak into that because you know we're talking about this is very important stuff, right? Like this is this conversation is important. It's important that we keep having these conversations. I just think about you know the person who's been struggling with something for so long that it's like I don't even know what to do with this. I don't even know what to do next because I feel like I've let everybody down. I feel like I've let God down. I feel like I don't. I just I don't even know how to begin to unpack um, what I'm carrying. And so um just, just curious, like if <laughs> I don't know if that's like a weighty thing I just put on you, but if you yeah. could kind of just speak into that for for a few moments here.
1: I think this what you described is the essence of it for everyone. And even as you say, you know, you feel like you're carrying not only all of your weight, but the weight of the world on your shoulders and all of these mm-hmm. things that you're carrying in your personal life or yeah. like people carry these shame bags around. You think about where shame originated in the garden it all started with a little lie it wasn't even quite a full lie it was a question and the question that the serpent asked eve was did god really say that yeah it was about fruit and yeah he didn't want them to eat that fruit but but the serpent said did god really say that if you eat that you're gonna die yeah he did but Eve was like did he really say that (laughs) questioning god's goodness Even if you don't understand it, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. We know how things worked out with Eve, and unfortunately, we know how they worked out for Adam by proxy, because how did he respond to Eve's failure? With shame and blame. So flash forward millennia later to us now, even on the far side of the cross, we occasionally, by our own... (laughs) panic attacks and heavy breathing, we get fog all over our new covenant lenses.
0: Mm. It is
1: very difficult to see the reality of the beauty we have been invited into when we are still somehow asking that question, did God really say that I'm loved? Did he really say that I'm forgiven? Did he really say that it is finished? What Jesus did was enough? And that there's nothing I could possibly earn to to make up for it. The best piece of advice I have for people in this situation, in these early stages of starting to deal with all your stuff, sit in the dissonance of the injustice of the gospel. It is so not fair hmm. that God would just say, all that sin All these decisions, all that stuff you're carrying, I got it. Covering it, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. So let me just do it for you. I covered it. You're mine. That is so unfair. Like from an earthly standpoint, it is unjust. But God is a righteous judge. He made that decision. And so now when Christ came, he wasn't judging us. Even though the father had given him all authority to do so. He said, I'm not judging you. <laughs> no, don't don't mishear me. There will be a judgment day. There's going to be a day when we have to account for all of this stuff. But right now, in this moment, Jesus isn't judging you. God's not judging you. They're both looking at you saying, why, why are you still worried about that? I covered it. I've got you. Let's go. And so in this concept of recovery, All of our traditional programs tell us we're trying to recover our life. We want to get our life back. Let me tell you, you do not want that old, broken, trauma-filled life that caused you to struggle in the first place. You don't want that life back. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And your new life in him starts now. It starts in the moment that you realize it, recognize it, and even suspend disbelief for a moment at the injustice of it all say, whoa, God, that just doesn't sound fair." And I'll be like, yeah, it's not fair, but that's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. And if you knew how loved you are, if you knew how much you deserve death, if you knew how much that without Christ, you're nothing, but with him and in him, you are a beloved child. You are a co-heir to the kingdom of heaven. You are seated in heavenly place with Christ right now. Not later, not when you die and go to heaven someday. Now. So your promised land life, this new life of transformation starts today. But let me tell you, you are going to spend the rest of your life trying to wrap your head around it, trying to come into agreement with what God has already said is true that you can't earn it back, that there's nothing you can do to be any more or less loved by him than you are right now. Mm -hmm. Sit in the dissonance of that. Sit in the injustice of it all. And in time, it will soften your heart to begin to suspend disbelief about yourself going forward. You are not responsible for your salvation. (laughs) You can't lose it because you're not responsible for it goddess it's so good how you think and how you feel about it matters so starting with mindset understand what's been done even if you can't make sense of it even if you're like that is nuts yep sit with it sit with god tell him how crazy you think it is tell him how insane he sounds he loves it (laughs) he loves it and in that process you'll eventually realize It's not from a place of pulling yourself together and making yourself perfect and holy and blameless for God. He's already done that. If you even have a desire to work on something in your life, if you have a desire to be set free from a struggle with an addiction or a compulsive behavior, with a struggle with your mental health, if you are questioning whether life is even worth living, you can be set free from this, but not in your own strength. Only when you begin to comprehend the magnitude of what's been given to you freely, unmerited, only when you start to comprehend that and walk in it as if it might be true, only then can you start to see the progress that you want to see because you're not striving to get somewhere. You are simply responding in love to a father who loves you so much and saying, "What." Other response do I have, but to make you Lord of my life. I want to give you everything. You can't strive your way into that kind of relationship. You have to receive the absurdity of the gospel. Hmm. It will change you forever.
0: (laughs) Britt, um, appreciate you so much uh, thank you so much for your time thank you for being so open and honest and uh, just sharing your heart and uh, man what you just shared there was so powerful I, I, I'd like to ask you um, and this is not something that I that I do normally mm-hmm. but um, I'd, I'd like to ask you if you would um, pray kind of kind of pray us out <laughs> as we get ready to wrap this up um, just before we do that I would like to remind people of where they can go to uh, first of all, find the book, the uncovery, and um, any other um, resources of yours that people can connect with. So, what's a, maybe a couple of good places to point people where they could go to find some yeah. more?
1: Yeah, a good link to everything is to start with my website, which is just briteaton.com. It's just one T after Brit. <laughs> And then uh, if you're interested in learning about the Uncovery, uh, the book and the movement that's starting, you can go to theuncoverybook.com and you'll find resources and other things available for you there. You can reach out to me from either place. So those are the best two places.
0: I love it. Well, uh, I do want to say to everybody, thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out this episode. Thanks everybody for all the comments and for uh, being engaged and all of that, and if you're listening to this or watching this at a later time, really, really appreciate you guys as well. Uh, if there is anybody out there listening to this that's um, struggling and you do need somebody to reach out to, some somebody that you can talk to, um, I mean, please feel free send me a message. Um, to, you know, reach out, reach out. We're we're here for you, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we'd love to um, just you know go deeper with you if um, if you're interested in that. And really just appreciate you guys for taking the time to uh, to be here. And, uh, yeah, so, Britt, um, again, I appreciate you as well. And if um, you could kind of um, pray us out and pray into, you know, maybe some of those things that you were talking about there a second ago. I think that was really, really powerful. And, and I just really believe by the Spirit of God that there's um, people that really, really needed to hear that. And, um, I, yeah, just thanks for being obedient. I appreciate it very much.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's pray. Father, you are You're so amazing. And sometimes your ways seem so crazy to us. <laughs> when we really discover the truth about how good you are and you end up being so much better than we you than we thought you were, um it's just so humbling. And it's fun and it's delightful, but there's some part in our in our brokenness and our humanness where We have a really hard time receiving that level of love from you Mm -hmm. because we know we could never return it. (laughs) We could never love you as much as you love us. And in the beauty of that, thank you for being a safe space anyway. I'm so thankful that you already know everything I've ever done and everything I will ever do so that nothing I bring to you surprises you or shocks you or offends you. You already know. <laughs> yeah. well, you know more about us than we know about ourselves. And that that level of intimacy, the fact that you are just always there in the moments where we are so tuned into you and in the moments where you're not even on our mind. Your word says that your thoughts toward us are as numerous as the grains of sand in the ocean. Every time we ever think about you, you are already thinking about us. You are already addressing the issue that we didn't know if we had courage to bring to you. You are already making a way where there was no way before because it's just what you do. We don't deserve it. And that's the part that's so hard in our humanness and our brokenness. We want to deserve it. And so many of us have been taught that we should work hard to Earn and deserve what you've already freely given us. And God, I just come against that lie right now. In Jesus' name, we come against any spirit of deception from the enemy that is coming to confuse sons and daughters of God, to try to convince them that God is somehow manipulating the narrative. No, he's Mm -hmm. been clear from day one. He created us for his own. And, delight. and so that we could delight in him. He created us for one another. He created us and gave us the world. <laughs> yeah, we screwed it up, but then he spent the rest of the Old Testament leading up to the crucifixion trying to win us back and get us back into his good graces. And he finally said, I love you so much. I'm going to send myself. I'm going to send myself and I will be the perfect sacrifice embodied in the man, the God-man of Jesus Christ. God, you are just, it's insane. It's absolutely insane, but we love you for it. Yeah. We will spend the rest of our lives trying to understand you, trying to remember your goodness, not just as evidenced in our life, but what, what your word says. Lord, we believe, so help our unbelief. Help us. Hmm. We need it daily. We need it every five minutes sometimes it seems. The broken world around us would present so much evidence to the contrary to try to tear us away from you, to try that that completely unoriginal serpent since back in the garden with Eve is still asking us that same stupid question. Did God really say, help us to respond in boldness, even when we don't know what to do, but to respond and say, yes, he did really say that. Yes, I am really loved. Yes, I am really forgiven. And even though I'm struggling right now, my identity in him is secure. That there's nothing I could do to be taken out of his, his hand. He's got me. And even on the days when we struggle to believe this or even when we just forget for a moment the truth of the beauty of the gospel, when we just forget in seasons of overwhelm, in seasons of doubt, and seasons of deconstruction, God, you are there and you are with us as close as the breath on our lips, even when we would be tempted to curse you and curse your name. Mm-hmm. You won't let us go. We try to keep you at arm's length and but it, like the hound of heaven, you chase after us. You never let us go. You'll never stop searching. You'll never stop coming after us thank you for being that kind of father thank you for being that kind of savior that kind of friend teach us we'll never be we're like you but we'll never be exactly like you we will never be you but teach us what does it look like to love like this yeah to love in ways that to the rest of the world might even look enabling and re- reckless but yeah. that they're your ways Give us humility as a body of believers to acknowledge what is no longer working and let it go. Give us curiosity and openness to say what is working and what might we try. God, sanctify our imaginations and give us your ideas. Sometimes it's easy as humans to assess the situation, at least point out the fault, at least show what's not working. But it's going to take a movement of you, God. It's going to take a movement of your magnitude to move these messages of mercy and grace and true recovery forward. That's what it's going to take. We can't do it on our own. But we submit to you right now in this moment yes, whatever it takes. Whatever you would have us do, you have it. You have our unbridled yes. We will step out in faith. Even if it means we fall flat. It's okay. Because to serve you and to be there for you is worth it. And in the meantime, no matter where we are in our journeys, just speak to our hearts. Remind us again how loved and forgiven we really are. Remind us again how even these bags of shame that we carry, we have been meant to lay them at your feet for decades. You're consistently asking even now in this moment, why are you carrying that? Why are you carrying that around? Let me help you with that. Let me carry that for you. Humble us, Lord, humble us, make us willing And help us be able to give these things over to you. Help us resist the temptation to think that we can somehow rebuild that old broken life. Help us remember and step into the new creation that you have made us and into the promised land life that you have for us. Because it's only by your hand that we'll enter in only by your hand that we'll realize it's not some <clears throat> magic place we get to when we die because we were good our promised land life starts today yes Lord. give us eyes to see it give us ears to hear it give us a mouth to taste it thank you God. give us a voice to share this truth the beauty of this truth with others thank you god There's real freedom real recovery comes in the context of the community you created us to be a part of. Give us people, God. Everyone who's listened this long, give, give them one person, one safe person that they could go to and put their whole heart, their whole life on their sleeve and be they, they could be received in love. It, took, it takes time to find it, God, but give everyone listening one person to go to and then give us all the courage To continue to invite people into that safe space.
0: Mm.
1: A place to heal. A place to learn. A place to grow. And then a place to carry out the commission you've given us. yeah What church is supposed to be. If you're a Christian, you're in recovery. So (laughs) we're all trying to step into the beauty of the new life that you've tried for us to have. Teach us. Just show us
0: Mm.
1: and let us sit and bask in the absurdity of it all. Yeah, How there's nothing we could do to be any more loved or less loved than we are right now. Any more forgiven or less forgiven than we are right now. Because Mm. you, God, could not possibly be any better than you are right now. Mm. So God, if there's a work you're doing today... (laughs) I know there's a work in me and Duke, but anybody who's listening today, just take this work and begin to seal it up in people's hearts. Even when we we don't know what the next step is, that that's okay. That when our eyes are fixed on you, even in the middle of the pain, oh God, you're not afraid of pain. You'll come sit with us in it. You'll come feel it with us, come weep with us and Mm -hmm. grieve with us and mourn with us. Yeah. And it will help us. Rise and stand back to our feet, and you'll walk with us step for step into this wow, wildly uncertain but somehow beautifully known future that you have for us. Yeah, mm. help us lean into your love, help us lean into your goodness, help us remember what's really at stake. Hmm. I can't imagine a world. I can't imagine a life where I don't spend the rest of my days trying to convince people how good you are, <laughs> because you are. And if people could even get two percent of your message, this message that you've had, people like me and Duke and George A. Wood and you know our friends and community carrying forth this beautiful message of your grace and your mercy. Let us look like fools for the gospel if that's what you have for us. Mm. It's just too good. The gospel needs to be good news. Help us be a part of a generation who presents the gospel as good news. Mm. Help us to release shame, to release judgment, to release our desire to be God. (laughs) Humble us. And in that humility, we know with you that we will rise together for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: <laughs>
0: Guys, he is so good. <laughs> he's so much better than you think. Oh, he's so much better than you think he is. It, it's, it's a lie that uh, that says that God's only as good to you as you are to him. There there's this phrase Brit that I would hear um all the time. It's like God helps those who helps themselves, like that kind of thing. And it it's just it's such just just crap, just garbage. It's you gotta
1: watch out. You, he, there's a you, lot of money be made in that kind of shame.
0: Oh hey. I'm not interested in any of that money. <laughs> it's blood money. Uh you know, I, I just I love I love I love 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 the your your focus there. Um you get the full weight. You get the full weight of his goodness. No matter how you've acted today, no matter what you're carrying, um, God's not looking at you like you're broken. He's not looking at you like like you're disqualified. He's qualified you because Mm. of who he is, because of what he's done. You Mm. get the full weight of his goodness. You get full access to him. You get full access to his heart. You get the full weight of his love. The, the only way that God could ask us when, when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the only way that he could ask us to do that is that he first loved us that way. That that the God loves you with all of his heart, with all of his mind. with Think about God loving you with all of his strength. Like how mm-hmm. strong God is. And yet as you were talking about there, Britt, like we we just carry so much and think that we have to be the ones that fix it. or We have to be the ones that manage it or figure it out. And I just love that reminder that you said there where it's like, you know, God kind of asking that question, why, why are you still carrying that? Why are you still carrying this thing that I gave my life for? And so um, for anybody, yeah. For anybody that survived until the end here, (laughs) uh, Just know that his love for you is so full. It's so complete. It's so perfect. There's nothing that you've done or nothing that you're going to do, nothing that you could do to screw it up. Paul Mm -hmm. declares that nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from his love. The enemy wants to convince you. He wants to distract you. He wants to convince you that you've done something that's caused you to be separated. We can pull back from God, but he is not pulling back from you.
1: So good.
0: So it's just sometimes it's just that 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 weight that you're carrying or that bat that you've been carrying around that you've been beating yourself over the head with. Just be willing to drop it. Just be willing to drop the weight of whatever mm-hmm. it is that you've been carrying. And yeah, you're probably gonna pick try to pick it up again tomorrow or something, but just drop it again. Just know that his grace is enough. Know that his grace is enough. It's not gonna run out. It's not that, well, I've God's given me enough chances. There's there's no there's no such thing as that with God. And so just know that whatever you're carrying, whatever, however broken you feel, whatever you've been through, his grace is so much more than he overpaid for your life. He overpaid for you on the cross. It was more than enough. Mm-hmm. Um, man. Thank you so much, Britt. So good. It's my pleasure. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, We love you guys. Thank you so much again for stopping by. Appreciate you so much. I I hope that uh, you'll come back for a future episode. I pray that the content of this episode blessed you. And uh, yeah, thank you again, Britt. You're the best.
1: Anytime, anytime, friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everybody. Check out the Uncovery. Don't forget. Get it. Give a copy. Get a copy for somebody else. Give it away. Bless you guys.